Thank you for joining us for another edition of Jackman Radio. I am joined today by Mr. John McCarthy. Uh, how you doing today, John? Good. I'm doing good, Mike. Thanks good. for having me on. Oh, absolutely. And uh, I've actually known John uh, for many years. I, I grew up with two of his sons, uh, Luke and Mike. We are very similar in age and uh, went to school together. And, um, you know, Mike reached out and said you were running and, you know, uh, we kind of discussed the po podcast a little bit and he was on before. So we were like, well, why don't we have, you know, your dad on to talk about the campaign and uh, you're running for state rep for District 18, which would cover Jaffrey, Ringe, and Dublin, correct? That's correct. Okay. And I got a little biography here, a little background. Mr. McCarthy is a uh, is retired from uh, Water Resources, and he is a member and current chair of the Jaffrey Ringe School Board. He's a member and youth exchange officer of Jaffrey Ringe Rotary and a former member of the Jaffrey Planning Board. Mr. McCarthy is also a member of the St. Patrick Parish in Jaffrey, and he served two years in the U.S. Peace Corps in Guatemala, and he worked on community development in Colombia, Bolivia, and Iraq. And Mr. McCarthy has lived in Jaffrey, New Hampshire for 30-plus years, and he's married to a uh, Conant High School language uh, teacher who I also had in high school for Spanish, Senora McCarthy, hola. Uh, John is the parent of three sons who are all educated in Jaffrey Ringe, Conant graduates like myself, and he's the grandparent of four. And some of the issues you have here for your John McCarthy for New Hampshire state rep include uh, defending public education and supporting educators, uh, supporting clean energy and protecting natural resources that make New Hampshire a healthy and enjoyable place in which to live and to make New Hampshire welcoming for all who seek a thriving place where they can live and work. So that's a little bit of the, uh, little bit of your background uh, from your Facebook, John McCarthy for New Hampshire State Representative. So, uh, you know, going into it, what, what kind of prompted you to want to run? Because I, I think this might be the first time I've seen your name on the ballot here for something like this. Yes, it sure is. Uh, I like to tell people that you know, I, I've considered it in the past. I've actually been asked a few times if I would run. But um, like about everybody else who's asked, I uh, had good reasons to not want to do it. Uh, it's a hard job. Takes some dedication if you want to do it right. Doesn't pay. I think it's $100 a year. And it's, uh, yeah, it, it, it's not an easy job. It can be difficult. So there's always good reasons, good excuses, right? You have your family to take care of, your business interests, your home. And uh, and this year, you know, I, I kind of watched, uh, I've told a few people the story, but I, I went to the uh, Martin Luther King Day presentation online. It was done at the Park Theater, uh, but it's sponsored by the United Church of Jaffrey. And they've done a great job over the past, I think it's about five or six years they've been doing it now. In any case, the speaker, the keynote speaker at the event was a fellow named Jim Waller. And um, he's from the Holocaust Center over in Keene State, at Keene State University. And he was talking about democracy and how we're kind of in a dangerous place. 
And he pointed out that it's at the state level that the danger really exists, more than the national level even, because many of the state houses have gone over to uh, the Republican Party. And, you know, he wasn't talking so much down on Republicans, but he was pointing out that there's a segment of the Republican Party that's gone pretty far right, pretty far off the spectrum. And there's quite a few people who um, who don't really believe in the rule of law or who, who question whether the rule of law should be, you know, what, what runs things. And, um, you know, it wasn't the first time I've heard anything about that. We've all heard about January 6th. And some of us think it was a more serious event and others think, well, it was, you know, not as serious as some make it out. There's a, a range of opinions on that. But we know that that wasn't the only incident in America where there's been civil unrest. And uh, some of it's gotten pretty violent in recent years. And for older people like myself, who can't help but think back to the years before we were born, when uh, when the when the World War II happened, and the Holocaust, and the craziness that went on in Germany, a lot of us look back at it and say, "What what went on there? How did that happen?" Because Germany was a civilized country, right? I mean, a really civilized country. Is that the the peak of music and the arts and uh, scientific achievement? It, it had a lot going for it. So, if a country so advanced could go so off the rails, you know, what protects any country? So, like I say, a lot of us who get to my age who have maybe time to think back on these things. You know, I've been reading books and taking classes uh, about what happened in those times and how did things go off the rails. And so here in this, this uh, fellow from Keene State talk about New Hampshire, it, it made me realize that, yeah, all the good excuses for not running were maybe not good enough and that uh, I should consider stepping up to do something. And what I decided to do was to try and help find a candidate because I thought there were, I could think of quite a few people that I thought would be great. And so I got on a small committee with a couple of other people, including current rep, Dick Ames, and including Jeff Tickler, who is my running mate. And we surfaced about 15 names, maybe 20 names, and contacted a dozen of them at least to see if they'd be willing. And uh, a number of people considered it, but no one was able or willing to step forward. And so me and Jeff decided to to run. Wow. So yeah, I've, you hear that a lot sometimes, where people are looking for candidates and then they they end up have they do it themselves or they end up kind of kind of by default being the ones to uh, put themselves out there. Yeah, it's, it's uh, as we were saying before we went on the air, um, my brother Eric ran back in 2012 
And uh, another thing we've kind of come up against is, is the whole idea of parties. I, I'm not a very uh, party oriented uh, person when it comes to politics. Um, you know, when I was younger, I would have considered myself more of a Democrat. But after the 04 election, I was very disappointed with um, what happened in Ohio and that Kerry and Edwards didn't really contest it. And uh, so I, I kind of became an independent and have kind of been an independent since then. But I've supported candidates from different parties if they've if they line up kind of with, you know, what, you know, what my big views are on, on the, on what I think are the big important issues. And, um, you know, one of the things you, I think on your platform too, is um, keeping, you know, taxes low in New Hampshire and property tax, because that's certainly something that we've, has been an issue, you know, here in the state, because we don't have the sales tax and, you know, we, we enjoy a pretty, pretty low tax overall, but um, you know, what's your take on that? Well, <laughs> that's a great question, and I, I think that's a very important question. I uh, think I mentioned to you in an email I sent that I was concerned about local issues and, and things that are happening that are affecting us locally, as well as kind of the environment that we create here and how it feeds into the national environment, right? But on the local level, yeah, property taxes are always rising and they're rising too fast and the state has in my view a lot of the responsibility for that and the republicans have been in power more than the democrats and when they are in power they have done what they can to to push policies that have raised our property taxes and it's kind of interesting that the uh, Republican Party always attacks Democrats for voting for an income tax, which we all know is never going to happen here in New Hampshire. Well, we're not going to get an income tax. We, no. we certainly don't believe that that's going to happen. But I remember two years ago when the Senate flipped from the Democrats to the Republicans in 2020, that like a day before the election or two days before the election, signs mysteriously appeared uh, telling voters that Gene Deitch, the senator for, for this area at the time, that she supported an income tax. And it was, uh, was a nice way of putting it was uh, a dirty trick. You know? But the fact is that our property taxes are what we're all paying and what's driving some people to leave their homes or not be able to meet their other expenses because they're paying those taxes. Well, in 2018 to 2020, when the Democrats were in power, they added additional money for lower income communities. And that is to say communities where the property value per student is low. Now, I don't know how much you would follow this or how much any citizen follows these kind of issues, but here in New Hampshire, we have communities where there's four or five million dollars in property valuation per student that they have to fund. And then there's other communities where the property valuation per student might be $800,000. 
Now, if you're in one of those $800,000 communities or 900,000 or million dollar per student property valuation communities, every extra thousand dollars you have to pay is a significant burden to your, your property tax. If you're in one of the communities where you've got five or six million dollars in valuation per student, then you can have a pretty high cost education without raising your property taxes very much. So there are grants that the state has traditionally provided to try and help lower income communities. And one of them is called an adequacy grant. In 2019, 2018, 19, the Democrats got into the budget some assistance for adequacy grants, which directly helped Jaffrey and Ringe. But last year, or in the last session, 2020 to 22, the Republicans stripped it out in the budget bill. They also put in a voucher bill. Now, the voucher bill, they said, was going to be you know, fairly reasonable in cost, and it ended up costing, some people say, 40 times what it was budgeted at. Now, the vouchers go to help people who want to send their kids to private schools, including religious schools. But it turned out that most of that money went not to kids who wanted to go to private schools or to families, that is, who wanted to send their children to private schools. But instead, it went to people who were already sending their children to private schools. Now, you can argue about whether religious schools should be funded by state taxes. Um, it seems like our Constitution says they shouldn't. But the big thing is, why should our property taxes go up so that that can happen? And so when you combine the eliminating of the adequacy aid, the creation of this voucher program, which was as I say, up to 40 times more expensive than it, it was claimed it was going to be in its first year. And then on top of that, you look at the downshifting of costs to local communities, to municipal governments. You seeing, you're seeing a very big impact on property values. Uh, that is property taxes, which in turn affects property values, right? The higher the taxes, the less desirable the land. What do I mean by downshifting? Well, costs that the state previously paid, they started cutting. Things like retirement benefits and contributions to health insurance. They started cutting those back when the financial crisis hit in 2008. Right? Back when gasoline prices were even higher than they are now. I remember I was, yeah, I was in uh, college. They were over almost $5 a gallon when uh, W was president at the time. Yeah. So, you know, when, when you, you, you take all these things into account, um, our property taxes have been going up and almost all the policies that my Republican colleagues, uh, I shouldn't call them colleagues because I'm not a member yet. Right. But, but, you know, the Republican representatives, my neighbors, that they've been supporting. Uh, I don't know how they affect the richer communities. You know, over in, in some of the communities 
closer to the coast and some of the larger communities. Uh, you know, maybe these policies work well for them, but they're sure not working well for Jaffrey and Ringe and Dublin. Right. For regular people who are, you know, trying to make ends meet. And you mentioned gas prices, worry about really high gas prices, uh, the cost of heating. I mean, everything else that goes into what you got to pay for in this life, you know? Yeah. I think anything that can be done, whether it's a, um, you know, a democratic proposal or a Republican proposal to, uh, to ease that and to help people with education, you know, and with healthcare, I think that's a good thing. Um, it's just, it's unfortunately you just, you don't really ever see anything come of it. You know, I mean, uh, something that happened when I was living in Ringe some years ago that I thought was great that actually brought a lot of people together was everybody locally and their opposition to the Kinder Morgan pipeline. That was, uh, you know, th that was something that affected everybody, no matter what party you were, if you're going to have this, uh, you know, this, this thing going through your property, you're like, Oh, I don't want that. You know, Republicans didn't want it. Democrats didn't want it. And a lot, a lot of us came together on that issue. And I really saw a lot of unity. So, I mean, what issues do you think could, could really bring people together? Cause it does seem like we are very divided right now in our country. And even at a local level, we kind of are too. Um, but I always feel at the end of the day, we hear extremes from both sides. They get amplified the loudest and you can't just have like a regular conversation without things getting heated or devolving into name calling or, um, you know, the spectacle that's kind of become our American politics. So I don't know. What, what do you think can can galvanize people locally to come together and put aside partisan differences? I think uh, a little common sense and mutual respect, listening to each other. I don't think that either side of the aisle has all the answers. I also, uh, you know, consider myself more of an independent than a Democrat. I switched over to the, I, I've been a Democrat before. Usually after I vote in the primary, I switch back to independent, not always. But this year I did have to switch to the Democratic Party. I wanted to run as a Democrat. I'm glad, I'm proud to be running as a Democrat. But I was registered as independent up until early June. So, and part of the reason is I know that neither side has all the answers and both sides are able to make mistakes. And um, a lot of people on both in both parties have been affected by the Trump presidency and driven a little bit uh, a little bit batty by it, you know. And on one side, you have people who don't care what the the former president does or says; they still want to support him, no matter how. no matter how wrong the things are that they might hear from them. And then on the other side, you have people who are convinced that anybody who ever voted for Trump, that they they must be evil or insane. And uh, they know that's not true, but they can't quite figure out how to deal with the fact that their neighbor who they've known for decades and who they respect and who they wouldn't hesitate to help if they could, is also somebody who believes the complete opposite from them. So, you know, I think we need to start talking more. And I know conversations can be difficult, but I think, uh, you know, I, it's so easy to say talking, but it's really about listening maybe more than talking. You know, because if you're going to talk to someone, you have to be willing to listen to them too. And uh, 
uh, you know, common sense solutions is what we need. And trying to find what's the best way forward. I, I've enjoyed being on the school board for the last six years. And it has not been an easy period in a way, but I've enjoyed the way people have tried to sort through problems. And we're not always right. We make mistakes. I, I hate to say it, but that is, in fact, a very big piece. We're human beings, whether Democrats or Republicans or independents. Not everything we decide is going to be the right decision. We do the best we can. And some days, boy, do we feel lucky that we, you know, things went okay. And other days we think, wow, we tried our best. But uh, I, I always think it's amazing what people accomplish, what we human beings, we Americans accomplish, despite being human and, you know, bringing with it all the flaws that are entailed in being human. So, oh, yeah. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think a really interesting part of your resume, too, and something I've always been fascinated about, I don't think I've ever been able to ask you, was your time doing community development in Iraq. And you also did that in Colombia and Bolivia. And I think I remember you went to Iraq um, maybe around 2005 or six or something like that. Yeah, 2005. What was that experience like? And 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 what what did you learn from that that you could bring, you know, to, to this and 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 your perspective, you know, on your time in Iraq? Well, I learned there's good people everywhere. I learned that there's uh, some real problems with our media and the way we educate ourselves. It's one of the reasons I'm a real opponent of the divisive concepts law that was passed also by the le Republican legislature this last term. You know about that, right? What's that one all about? No, I don't know that I'm familiar with that one. Well, the divisive concepts law says that teachers are not allowed to teach students about concepts that could be considered divisive. And if they do, they can be held accountable by parents who identify them as having taught divisive concepts. Things like slavery and uh, you know, who's to blame for slavery. And well, to tell you the truth, it's not too clear what yeah, it sounds kind of vague. Yeah, it sounds like it could be misconstrued as pretty vague. It is pretty vague, and there have been serious efforts on the part of the ACLU and the teachers' unions and others to try and have that law defined and clarified. And those efforts have been rebuffed by the governor and by his... his uh, you know, secretaries, the people who work for him, secretary of education, they're not interested in defining it because having it unclear is actually beneficial to them. Right. It can be more broad, broadly covered. You know, there's a, there's a group out there. I think they're called Mothers for Liberty. And they have a $500 bounty that they've been offering for any parent who finds a teacher teaching something divisive and gets that teacher fired, gets the teacher's license revoked. A lot of people don't know that that was passed into law. But that's that's kind of an example of, well, I'd, I'd say two things. One, that a lot of, a lot, many things are left 
unclear and confusing in, uh, purposely. Because if it's confusing, just like this district, I mentioned to you that one of the people that, that I'm running against is in a district that includes six communities, all the way from Roxbury to Fitzwilliam, including Ringe and Jaffrey and, and Dublin. Uh, now we have a Senate seat that goes all the way from Bedford over to Hinsdale. So and lots of gerrymandering going on. Yeah. And, it sounds like quite often. Yeah, and the gerrymandering is an issue. Republicans have done their very best. Uh, I'm sure the Democrats have done the same thing nationally in their time. But a lot of things are left unclear. So, so, so that's, yeah, that's one thing. And uh, yeah, this, this notion of uh, divisive concepts is, uh, it curtails our freedom. It keeps us from, uh, from speaking out. And, and I'll tell you the truth. I think I lost my train of thought there. There was something. Oh, wrong. no. Yeah, we were just talking about what, what topics that might be. I mean, just from national news stories that you've heard um, that I've paid attention to, it's probably related to sex ed or stuff with, um, you know, gender or, um, you know, what to what sex ed looks like for when you're in middle school or high school. I mean, I'm thinking back to we had independent living with uh, Mrs. Pride, and that was uh, very interesting to say the least. But um you know, I, I, I graduated high school in 2005, so I don't know. I'm not sure what it looks like, you know, nowadays in high school. I know um, Mrs. McCarthy just retired, what, last year or a year or two ago? Yeah, so uh, she, 2020, June of 2020. So, yeah, just over two years ago. So, um, you know, I think there's probably people on the other side who are saying, oh, I don't want my kids, you know, told about these subjects or taught a certain way about this. So, Maybe they're more inclined to send their kids to a private school if they can. Um, but like to speak to what you said, if you're an educator, then now you got to be fearful about, oh, am I going to teach them a book or a subject that is going to offend a parent and there's going to be a crusade against me? So that's where you yeah, You know, these are very tricky questions. And yeah. I think parents have every right to be involved and be concerned about the Absolutely. education of their children. But I think, too, we need to trust our teachers and support education. You know, I, I was talking earlier about the impact on property taxes. And uh, I think that people should look into that because I think they'll find there's a lot of truth to what I, I said about what the Republican legislature has been doing. But what, it, what ends up happening, of course, is that we then still have to fund our public schools. And so the public schools look for more money and they end up having their budgets cut like what happened this this past year. Uh, but, but Mike, I'm not trying to avoid that topic. None of us really know, I don't think, where this um, gender fluidity came from. Or at least, uh, maybe I'll speak for myself. I, it seemed to me like it just came out of uh, out of nowhere, you know? And of course, I've always, you know, known that you know not everybody is heterosexual, right? There's gay people, and and there's been a, a move towards recognition that people are born gay and that they have a right to be gay, and uh, and that they should have full rights. 
And that wasn't how it felt or what we were taught when I was a young guy, right? When I was in school. So I've had to learn, all of us in my generation have had to learn, I think, or at least many of us have had to learn to respect people and to treat them with decency. But the whole gender fluidity is sort of like another thing. And parents, I think, are concerned. You know, they certainly don't want their children going to school and being encouraged to consider their gender. Right. But I, yeah, that, that is a recent, more recent phenomenon. Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. It's, it's okay. It is more recent. And I think that our teachers are very sensitive to that. They're, they're not going in and, and teaching kids that it's okay to switch genders or encouraging them. What they do is try to protect those children who are questioning their gender for whatever reason and make sure that they're not being bullied, that they're not the butt of jokes, that they're, that they're being treated with respect and that they have a safe place to learn. And, uh, you know, teachers are human too, right? Just like we hear about cases of police who do things that they shouldn't do. And religious leaders who do things they shouldn't do. But teachers, by and large, on the whole, are very conscious of their responsibilities to parents as well as students. They are well supervised. In our district, I believe, they're well supervised by the administration. They know what they're supposed to, to teach and not teach. And they're left with the responsibility to figure out how to help students kind of walk this uh, tightrope or navigate this, this, this complex trail uh, in, in, in a new era. And what yeah. is new era? Well, it, you know, it's all, this, it's all this stuff coming forward that we don't, we don't know where it came from. <laughs> Well, I mean, it's a it's a cultural shift. I mean, you see a lot of it in the media. A lot of it's in shows on Netflix. A lot of it is certainly being promoted. Um, Bill Maher had an interesting segment recently on one of his shows where he examined how it is in California versus other parts of the country. And, um, you know, a lot of the numbers that were dramatically different. So he, he's more inclined to believe that a lot of it's a fad. I don't, I don't know. I'm not really, I don't really focus on a lot of it too much, but it is, you know, it is something teachers have to deal with. I mean, a lot of my friends are teachers. My mom has been working in a school for 20 years and um, they, they've all been faced with, um, you know, these issues. And yeah, it's like walking a tightrope and you're asking, a, you know, a professional who, who doesn't make a lot of money to begin with and oftentimes spends their own money to buy supplies for the classroom and does all kinds of work outside of the classroom that people don't even see, you know, to, to, you know, prepare for that experience, um, to, you know, to, to take on a whole other layer of it. So yeah, there's, I don't know, there, there, there's a lot with that, but switching gears from education, um, to, uh, you know, energy. I know it says you say that clean energy is part of your, part of your platform. Um, how, how do you think, you know, in, in New Hampshire and more specifically around, um, you know, Jaffrey Ridge in Dublin, we can benefit from clean energy. And what does that look like? Well, you know, locally, I think uh, supporting solar power and uh, doing what we can to use renewables is something we can do. But really, 
the biggest impact we can have is at the state level. Uh, New Hampshire has been dragging its feet and slow walking the uh, movement towards renewables. And it's kind of a shame because we've been known as a state of innovators. We have a lot of smart people here, a lot of business people like the, like the people that created New England wood pellets. Not an easy thing to do. Uh, Steve Walker understood what the requirements were. He worked with the DES. DES regulates very well. They very tightly wanted to make sure that there were not going to be emissions that were damaging to the local environment. And he was able to, to navigate that process and create an amazing business that is providing, you know, heating using uh, biomass for, I don't know, tens of thousands of people, or is it hundreds of thousands of people? I think probably more like hundreds of thousands, right? So uh, we have a lot of people like that, though, in New Hampshire, and they know that renewables are the future. And that doesn't mean that you stop using fossil fuel in the meantime, but it does mean that you encourage the forward movement and you look to get those jobs here because there are going to be a lot of high paying jobs in the green economy and uh, we could use some of those jobs here. So, yeah, definitely. I mean, like, like you're saying, it's not going to be something that's going to be overnight, but I mean, certainly a lot of these, uh, you know, organizations and, um, you know, politicians out there who've been talking about this for years. Uh, if we started a while ago, I think we'd be even further, you know, on it. Uh, but unfortunately you have a lot of lobbyists and special interests that are, not in favor of that. Um, but we, you know, we do live in reality. I mean, we all drive cars, so we all contribute to, you know, the fossil fuel situation. And we certainly have our relationship with uh, countries like Saudi Arabia, which is very, very tricky to navigate, navigate because they are involved, um, you know, with uh, a lot of unscrupulous uh, activities. And, um, but, you know, they, uh, they're one of the largest, uh, providers of, of energy in the Middle East. So we, you know, we have to live in that reality. But yeah, I mean, I think going forward, it, it's, it's, a, it's a great idea to invest in, in different, you know, energy resources and, uh, you know, keep that more localized. Mike, can I ask you a question? Yeah, sure. What, what's your take on climate change and on the danger that we face as a uh, not only as a nation, as a species. Oh, I mean, I think, yeah, I think it's a big, it's certainly a very big uh, issue. One should be one of the top ones that right now I'm more focused on a nuclear war uh, popping off because I think that's closer in my lifetime than it's ever been since 62 uh, when Kennedy was, was president. But I mean, I remember seeing the footage and pictures of the ice caps melting in real time and seeing the, um, the melting of the ice caps, the recession over the years, you can just see the maps. I mean, it's, you know, as clear as day to see that there is an impact going on and you have wildfires raging all over the world, uh, people being displaced because of severe weather. So I think it's a, it's a hugely important issue. Um, unfortunately, it has been politicized and you have uh, people denying it completely, saying it doesn't exist at all. And then you have others who are you got someone like Al Gore talking about it. Meanwhile, he lives in a big mansion that probably uh, <laughs> probably takes, you know, how much energy to, to fuel and run. So 
Um, yeah, no, I do think it is very, it is very important. I haven't focused on it as much recently, to be honest, because like I said, I've, the, the whole nuclear situation has been more on my mind, but, um, yeah, no, I definitely agree and think it's real and it's important. <laughs> it's, fun, it's interesting. It's one of those things that goes back to the device, the divisions and the divisiveness where people on the right and people on the left can't talk to each other. Yeah, a lot of denial going on, and it's easy to see the denial tied to political views, or or if they're taking money from the coal lobby or what what energy lobby are they taking money from to have a certain view? I think that's attached to it a lot too. You know, if they have if they're in the pockets of uh, you know Exxon or whichever energy company pays for their uh, votes or funds their reelection campaigns, you know. You know, I, I guess there's always going to be corruption. We, we are human. But there probably needs to be a lot less of it if we're going to solve some of the problems confronting us as as a species. Yeah. If we want to see the next generation and the generation after that have a chance at survival, we're going to have to get some things right. Like we have in the past as Americans. We've gotten some things right and we can do it again. But if we don't talk to each other, if we don't trim the corruption and make our politicians believe again in being honest and honesty being the norm, then, uh, yeah, we're going to have climate denial and all sorts of denial. And I agree with you about the war or the danger of nuclear war. I, I think we all should be concerned about that. But this climate crisis is uh, coming along, and even if we get past this current conflict between Russia and NATO or Russia and the U.S., however you want to describe it, the climate problem is going to be with us. And it looks like it's getting worse. And I think, you know, sometimes people exaggerate the seriousness of these things, and sometimes they understate the seriousness because they don't want to sound like Chicken Little claiming that the sky is falling, you know? Right. But Or like an alarmist. Yeah, an alarmist, right. But there's lots of reason to believe that this climate problem is persistent and serious. And at least in my view, I, th I think we need to start talking to each other because, I, you know, getting past politicians, that's one thing. But the average person... I think is uh, you know in a little better position, not not being into the whole lobbying game, and you know they're they're looking at how much it costs them to fill up their tank, and uh, if they're being encouraged to buy an electric vehicle, they want to know can it, what's an electric vehicle going to do for me if I get stuck in a snowstorm and my battery runs out? I mean they they've got concerns and they're they're not about lobbyists and bribes their concern is what's going to work and yeah people need to be able to talk to each other because in the absence of honest conversation we get conspiracy theories we have conspiracy theories on the right and conspiracy theories on the left and uh it's not helping us yeah i mean the average person they're going to vote with their wallet and and um you know like we were saying before with all the, the pain at the pump i mean that's a very real thing and 
you know, after you work your 40, 50 plus hours a week, and let's say you have kids and you have a family to deal with and all these problems, you know, the last thing you're going to want to do is probably try to look into these issues with a little bit of free time that you have. And I've, I've heard that argument from a lot of people and I totally get that. Um, but yeah, something like nuclear annihilation or climate change, I think, unfortunately, until it's in a lot of people's faces directly, they don't think about it or don't want to deal with it. But for me personally, I think just, you know, in your everyday life, anything you can do to think about what your, you know, what your footprint looks like or how, how your, what you, what your actions are, uh, you know, doing to the planet. And uh, there's actually a great documentary coming out by Abby Martin um, from Media Roots. She's an independent journalist who I, who I respect very greatly. And she's focusing on the pollution from the Pentagon. She's claiming that the Pentagon is one of the world's largest polluters. And I think there's a lot of truth to that. So, um, you know, certainly our footprint around the world and, and the militarism and wanting to, you know, insist on being in all these countries, that has a huge, you know, impact that I don't think ever really gets discussed in earnest. Good points, Mike. Good points. You know, so, but yeah, there's a lot of issues, but I think it was Tip O'Neill said all politics is local. So we're coming up on almost uh, just over 41 minutes. So I want to be respectful of your time. I know you got another event you're attending uh, here today, John? That's right, right. But I'd like to jump out of here in about four minutes if uh, if we can do that. Is there any yeah. any last thing that you'd like to ask about? or? Um, well, I'd just give your, uh, you know, I don't want to say elevator pitch, but uh, w when you're on the stump or you're talking to people, what, what do you kind of lead with and what do you say if you got a couple of minutes of someone's time to why they should support you in your campaign? Okay, well, thanks. I think this is a great year to vote Democrats up and down the list. Uh, I think Governor Sununu is going to be tough to beat, but uh, Tom Sherman would be a great governor. And, and I think that we should vote for Maggie Hassan. Uh, we should vote for uh, Melanie Levesque and Matt McLaughlin, but especially we should vote for Jeff Dickler and John McCarthy and, and, uh, the reason I think that is because we've gone too far over to the extreme. And, and I, I really think it's a problem for all of us, not just for people on the Democrat side. This uh, attack on women's rights. I, I'm sort of a religious person. You know, I, I, I still go to church. I'm the only one in my family probably does that. But I do it because I'm trying to remind myself always that I don't have all the answers and I, I need to. I need to look inside. I need to ask God for help. And, uh, you know, my, the churches have been big on overturning Roe, the, the, the Roe decision and making abortion not uh, a guaranteed right for women. And, uh, you know, I think that's a shame because. I think the churches, including my church, maybe in particular my church, could do a lot more to change hearts and minds instead of trying to change the laws. Uh, I do think that the abortion restrictions that were passed last year are going to become more restrictive this year if the Republicans retain power in the House and the Senate because they've done what they can to primary more moderate Republicans. I mean, I don't know if how many people know this, but 
there is an exception to the New Hampshire abortion law for cases of rape or incest. Well, those exceptions are in there because Republicans join with Democrats to insist that that amendment be passed. Almost all of those Republicans who voted for that were primary and the majority of them lost their seats. So that's one of my pitches. And another part of my elevator pitch is I think we need to talk to each other. And I've been saying that since we started talking. It's not the problem isn't Trump voters. The problem isn't the uh, LGBTQ community or the uh, or the socialists, as uh, some Republicans like to call Democrats. That's not the problem. The problem is that people aren't treating each other as fellow citizens when it comes to politics, and they're not respect. We're not respecting each other the way we need to. So I'll stop there. Excellent. Well, that, that well said. I really appreciate that, John, and, and I agree. Um, I like to have people on that I agree with and people that I disagree with or learn something, a uh, perspective I never even considered or thought of before. And that's, I guess that's my contribution to this whole thing. I've been podcasting for several years um, and uh, I'm going to you know, continue doing it and having conversations like this. So I thank you very much. I thank you for your time and, and uh, I wish you good luck on the trail. Thank you. Thanks, Mike. All right. Absolutely. Yeah, what you're doing. Thank you. And thank you, everybody, for tuning in to another episode of Jackman Radio. We will be back again soon.